0: Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Leviticus, our normal Wednesday study. And uh, if you're listening for the first time, if you've been listening for a couple weeks, Wednesday is the, our, our Bible study day where we go through the Old Testament. And then on Sunday, we do the New Testament uh every once in a blue moon uh, there's going to be uh, uh, topical sermons but that's like maybe twice a year uh it happens and you know we'll just uh, going to follow this model old testament and new testament it's a very safe model because uh you know the old ter- old uh, 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 old testament interpreting the new uh the new interpreting the old and with that, going line by line, precept upon precept, what would we get? We get the full counsel of the Word of God. And in that, there is safety. There's a lot of times, a lot of subject matter where we touch on where it's like, whoa, you know, it's a very touchy subject. And we're going to touch on some touchy things today. Uh, and, uh, but in, in so doing, we get the full counsel of the Word of God. And we also get an understanding of our Lord's perspective on certain things. We get an understanding of why he does what he does in certain situations, both Old Testament and New Testament. You also understand why the godly people, when things go south, why the godly people uh, have such despair in their heart, such as Samuel, uh, such as Paul, why, why they're grieved in their hearts. It's because you see a falling away. Old Testament and New Testament. And so let's pick up here in chapter 20, verse 1. It says here in verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel. Notice, you know, it's again. There's a lot of repetition. Old Testament and New Testament, a lot of repetition. Just like Paul told the church in Philippi, how, you know, some of these things seem tedious, but for you, it's safe. And there's a lot of times where the Lord repeats things. Sometimes there's a verse, and then in the very next verse, it's the exact same thing. Or in a chapter, there's one thing, and then the very next chapter, there's another thing. It's the exact same thing. It's like, you know, there's this repetition. And it's so beautiful because, you know, in this repetition, there's safety because it's like muscle memory. Muscle memory. Have you ever seen somebody at... Tennis practice, or soccer practice, or baseball practice, or football practice. And it's just a lot of repetition, 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 repetition. The same motion, over-dribbling, swinging, all these different things. So when it's game time, it's like it's already ingrained when it's game time. That's what's so beautiful about our walk with the Lord. There's a lot of repetition in studying the Word of God. And then at the same time, in life events. There's certain repetitions where, you know, you come across a fork in the road and maybe you make a bad decision, a decision that doesn't honor the Lord. And then once you realize like, whoa, you know, Lord, I brought you dishonor, you repent and you get back to where you need to be. You make yourself right with the Lord. That's what happens through repentance. And then you're going to keep on walking on the narrow path and then you're going to get in a fork in the road again. And maybe it's relating to the same previous fork that you failed at. And then you're like, in your mind, like, well, you know, I dishonored you, Lord. In the same exact situation, I brought you dishonor, and I felt how terrible that was. I felt, I don't don't like that feeling of bringing you dishonor, Lord. And so now that I'm at this fork in the road, I'm not going to do it, Lord. And then you continue walking on the straight path. And that's what's so beautiful about our walk with the Lord is that we learn these things as we learn and as we apply the God's truth, God's word in our lives. It's a cognizant decision that every single one of us has to make, myself included. I never want to be in a position where I'm teaching or preaching at you. It's us studying the word of God together. We're all in the same boat. I have to apply the word of God in my life the same way you have to apply the word of God in your life. And this is what we teach. This is what we study. And so in verse 2, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, these are you know non-Jews who recognize uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. And now they're grafted in. They, they join together with the camp of Israel. And the Lord is saying, Any of these people? of the children of Israel or the strangers who dwell in Israel who gives any of his descendants to Molech Molech the Canaanite god Molech some some bibles say Moloch and you know you're going to see Molech and Moloch and see, uh, same 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 god same idol and the lord says don't give your, any of your descendants to Moloch child sacrifice that's what they used to do you see the statues of Moloch you know, sometimes you go to museums, you look at history books, and, you know, encyclopedias, and you see the pictures of Moloch. And it's just this uh, a bronze statue with its arms erected out, you know, sticking out sideways. And what they used to do is light a fire underneath those arms, and they'd be glowing red hot. And in order like to sacrifice to Moloch, they would take their babies, their children alive, and put them on the burning, burning uh, arms, and then the baby would burn there. And then, you know, they take the ashes and push him into the belly of Moloch. It was an offering to Moloch, a Canaanite god. And the Lord straight up telling him, whoever whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Now you see passages like this in the Old Testament about stoning. And there's a lot of mockers today. People who make fun of Christians, people who make fun of you and me because we honor the Lord and we believe in Jesus Christ, and there's mockers. They say, Oh, you believe the Bible? You think we should stone people? No, that's the law. That is the law. And if you're listening to this message and you're a non believer and you're like, Wow, you know, Christians, oh, they're just Bible thumpers. All oh, they do, they think we should stone this person, stone these people. No, let me tell you something. In accordance with the law, I should be stoned. That is precisely why I am madly in love with Jesus Christ. Because I'm not under the law. And I don't want you to be under the law. So believe in Jesus Christ. God loves you. You need to understand these things, you know. Rather than say, oh, you know what, you think we should be stoned. You think that this person should be stoned. You know what I say? Flip the coin. There's another side to the token. Instead of looking at judgment, look at God's love. Anytime you see a period of judgment that the Lord has upon Egypt, upon uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, even upon the judgment that's coming, there's always a period of grace. Always, 100% of the time. Look at Nineveh and Jonah. Always a period of grace. Ah, You know what, I I don't want to believe that Well, you know what, I'm not forcing you But I implore you Believe in Jesus Christ Repent and be born again We are in the last days And you know, 100 years ago, 50 years ago You know, people could get away with certain things But it's like, you know, I like to think of like driving off a cliff, you know I mean, I don't think about driving off a cliff but, like, say you're in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. You're in Scottsdale, Arizona, and then somebody in the backseat says, hey, slow down, you're going to, you know, crash into the ocean. There's a cliff there. you think like, well, that's crazy. Uh, Southern California is so far away, I'm nowhere near the ocean. But then, say, for example, you cross the border, you get into SoCal, and then all of a sudden you're in, uh, I don't know, uh Somewhere, some beach in Southern California, and in the back seat, you know, say you're in the San Juan Capistrano, and someone in the backseat says, hey, slow down, you're too close. And you're like, well, you know, I'm in San Juan, but, you know, I'm not, I can see the ocean, but I'm not near the cliff. But, you know, for somebody to say that in Scottsdale, it's a lot different from somebody to say that in San Luis Obispo or uh, uh, San Juan Capistrano. Totally different. Because the proximity of the ocean. Now, what about if you're 50 yards away? You're going, you know, 40 miles an hour and you're 50 yards away from the cliff. That person in the backseat saying, hey, slow down. The cliff is right there. Rightfully so. That's not to say that in Scottsdale, it wasn't rightfully so. But even more so, it is amplified. When you're 50 yards away, going 40 miles an hour. And that's how it's going to be in the last days. As we get dangerously close to events described in the 70th week of Daniel and events that happen precursory to the 70th week, in the middle and then at the end. And the Lord is saying, you know what, a lot of times you talk to mockers, they say, oh yeah, you think we should stone people. No, I don't. But the wages of sin is death. Knowing that, you have a choice to make. I've made my choice. If you're listening and you're a believer, praise be to the Lord. You've made your choice as well. If you're a non-believer, make your choice. Serve, you know, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Just like Joshua says. You know, make your decision, serve your God, whatever, but, you know, and make your choice. But as for me and my house, we've made my You know, I've made my choice. We've made our choice. And it's so beautiful when you see righteousness through the ages. People who honor the Lord. Because what do you see? You see the Lord blessing them. Now a lot of times in you know, today's culture we think yeah, blessing has to do with finances. It can. But in my experience, it's probably a fraction of the time. If any, it's like almost none. A lot of times, the blessings of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, has absolutely nothing to do with finances. Nothing whatsoever. Remember, the meek shall inherit the earth. And it's so beautiful when we see these exemplified in these heroes contained in Scripture. And here in the very beginning, in these giving of these statutes, the Lord is telling Israel, not just Israel, but whoever of the strangers who dwell in Israel, Hey, these are my rules. These are my rules. Follow them. Make a choice. Follow them. And so he says here in verse 2 that uh, 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 who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Remember, the wages of sin is death. That's in accordance with the law. In accordance to the law. You say, well, you know, we think we should you think we should stone. No, I don't think that at all. I should be stoned. I should be on the cross because of my sin. But God so loved the world. He sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him, that you, through Jesus Christ, can be saved. Believe in Jesus. In verse 3, I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from the people. Notice one end. The person who uh, sacrifices any of his descendants. Verse 3 says, I will set my face against that man and one end will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. Now you read that last part in verse 3 and you're like, Whoa, to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name? Now if you're of the liberal mentality, My body, my choice, I can do whatever I want. My body, my choice, it's my business. What does the Lord care what I do with my body? That's if you're of the liberal mentality. Don't forget who he's speaking to. He's speaking to his chosen people. He's speaking to a people who are consecrated unto him. Who are you consecrated unto? Are you consecrated unto self? That's a very hardcore question. Who are you consecrated to? If you're consecrated to yourself, am my body my choice? If you're consecrated to another person, you know, a lot of wives get in trouble because they submit to carnal husbands. And the husband says, wife, you have to to submit to me. You know, husbands who are perverted, they're addicted to pornography. And then they say, wife, you submit to me. Therefore, you have to perform sexually like this. And there is such a thing as the unnatural use of the human body. And so wives get in trouble because it's like, you know, they're consecrated unto themselves or they're consecrated unto their husbands. But as Christians, consecration unto the Lord for his glory. Who are you consecrated to? I mean, you could ask a question like of yourself, am I even consecrated? I mean that, that would be like question number one. Are you consecrated? You say like, man, I'm 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 not. I'm not consecrated. I'm going about my own business, doing my thing. Yeah, I believe in the Lord, but I don't consider myself consecrated. Well, you know what I say? Get consecrated, be consecrated, be set apart. Now, question number two, unto whom? Jesus Christ. Your body as a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. As Brother Paul tells the early church in Romans chapter 12, which is your reasonable service. And it's so beautiful because, you know, you start to understand like, wow, you know what? You have this mentality of me, you know, my body, my choice. But then when you understand that your body is a temple of the Lord. Lord, I want this body to bring you honor and you glory. Not the glory for me. The glory for you, Lord. Old Testament and New Testament. The exact same concept. The end of verse three. The Lord is saying to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. You see, God wants oneness with his people. You remember in Exodus 33, the Lord says, you know what? Go to the land of milk and honey. I'm not going to be with you because you guys are stiff-necked. And if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. So he said, I'm not going. Straight up, I'm not going. It was Moses who interceded. And said, Lord, you know what? You know, because of your mercy, Lord. And how beautiful. It's not like, you know, it's not like the Lord was wishy-washy. You know, forgive me for saying that, Lord. I I don't want to come off that way. It's not that he was wishy-washy. But to, um, to, to know the heart of Moses. To know that Moses would say, no, Lord. Because of your mercy. In teaching Moses a lesson. So that Moses could teach the people. Sometimes you read these passages and it's like, man, you know, you know, did the Lord change his mind? Did the Lord do this? Did the Lord? And it's, it's not like, you know, you see when he, when it appears that he does that, like with Moses. And you're going to see and understand. It's like, wait a second. Who is it that he's speaking to? Remember him and Moses were like friends. We're going to study that. He speaks to Moses as he speaks to a friend. And people were getting mad at Moses. Like, you know, wow, you know, you think you're so holy. How come God, do you think God speaks to you? God can speak to me too. And so finally the Lord, you know, said, okay, let's settle this. And we're going to study that. And you know, as much as, you know, a lot of times people put heavy emphasis on Moses. And I will too, to a certain degree to understand, as we studied in Hebrews, that he was a servant in the household of God. The same way you are a servant in the household of God. If you're consecrated, I pray you are. But that's a hardcore question. It's a hardcore choice. And when you're consecrated unto the Lord, you have oneness with the Lord, intimacy with Him, and you submit yourself to Him, He will teach you. He will grow you. And then He's going to tap on your heart and say, I have a task for you. And it's the Lord doing the work, His work through you. You're a vessel. And so look what happens here in verse 4. Remember, I said in verse 3, one end. And so look what happens here in verse 4. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man. Very interesting. Why would a person hide their eyes from the man? It's maybe they're afraid. Afraid to confront You know, have you ever been in a situation where you know uh, you are fully aware of wickedness? Fully aware of somebody who is bringing dishonor to the Lord in the body of Christ. And then you say nothing. You know, if you're a pastor, you can't be silent. If you're an elder, you can't be silent. Carnality, sin, wickedness. It all has to be addressed. A lot of pastors today, a lot of elders today, they fear people more than they fear God. And I don't say that as an indictment against leadership in a church. But you read the truth of God's holy word, and I don't have to indict. You know why? Because scripture does. Don't be silent. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, don't be silent. You can't be. Because certain things have to be addressed. Look at the condition of the church today in the last days. Look at the condition of the church. Look at what is prophesied about the last days church false church, apostate church, or the great falling away. It's not a pretty picture. You cannot be silent. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you cannot be silent. Now, if you're a pew Christian, it's not to place emphasis on any, you know. It's to, you know, place fear in those in leadership. Let not many of you be teachers. Teachers are held to a higher account. There's a greater accountability when we stand before the Lord. So when I say a pew Christian, it's not to denigrate, to bring denigration. It's to say, hey, you know, if you're a pew Christian, number one, pray for your pastors. Pray for the elders. Pray for your church leadership. Pray for the ministry leaders, the worship team. Pray for everybody. And pray for the body. And it's no joke because, you know, you see the condition of the last days, what is prophesied about. And then at the same time, you have to wonder, wow, Lord, where do I fit in the mix? I don't want to be in a false church. I don't want to be in apostate church. I want to be in a church that's being refined by your Holy Word and by the power of your Spirit. You have to understand the Scriptures. Be a Berean. Gone are the days where the Christian can be lax in our walk with the Lord. Gone are the days. It's in the rearview mirror. Because things are happening rapidly. Rapidly. And it's going to intensify. And so look what happens here. You know, here you have a group of people. They're silent. In verse 4, they hide their eyes from the man. So somebody sacrificed to Molech. What the Lord says, don't do. And he reiterates this because we studied this a couple chapters ago. You know, don't uh, sacrifice to Molech. But then at the same time, that was in chapter uh, uh, 19, verse 21. And here there's the reiteration, repetition. And we're going to see in the Old Testament, the Lord's going to mention Molech a lot more times. So what happens to the one, you know, yes, there's the the fellow, the guy, the gal, whoever sacrificed to Molech. But then there's another group of people, the ones who know about it and hide their eyes from the man. The ones who know about it and are quiet, just like we're going to study that when we get into uh, 1 Corinthians And beautiful, beautiful Chloe. I love that girl. Beautiful Chloe. You know, she has her home fellowship. She sees what's going on in the church. Maybe not so much in her home. I would would say her home was like a bastion of righteousness. But what about the neighboring churches? What about when she, you know, goes to the marketplace and she sees, wow, you know, this guy's a Christian and he's, you know, pretty chummy with this girl. This guy's a Christian, but, you know, he's pretty chummy with his dad's wife. It's, you know, Paul, let me write a letter to you. Paul, you're not going to believe this, but, you know, this is what's happening in the church. How beautiful of a witness for Chloe. For Paul to read her letter and know, okay, you know what, this has to be addressed. What a beautiful witness for Chloe. You know, her countenance her witness precedes her i mean you know she wasn't like crying wolf i wonder what her past decisions were in christ that brought honor to the lord to bring her to a place where she lets paul know via a letter and paul says okay these things have to be addressed you know and she wasn't quiet she wasn't silent about it the things that she saw that were happening And the Lord is saying the exact same concept. Don't be quiet about it. In verse 4, If the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not kill him, you say, whoa, that's heavy. Well, this is the law. And the law is heavy. Straight up stoning. Killing. Then look what the Lord does. Then I will set my face against that man. Remember in verse 3 I said one end? Here there's three ends to the one who's silent. I will set my face against that man and against his family and I will cut I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him. Whoa, that is no joke. That is serious business. That's what's so beautiful, you know, when You hear me mention Chloe a lot because it's so beautiful. Just one little brief passage about beautiful, beautiful Chloe. But when you read passages such as this, you understand like, wow, Chloe is beautiful. Beautiful because you see, she's honoring the Lord and she's protecting the flock, protecting the sheep. Now, she's not a pastor. But wow, you know what? Think of all the other pastors, the so-called pastors in Corinth. Think of all the other so-called elders in Corinth. The ones who were the stop-loss, so to speak, or the ones who were the bulwarks of righteousness. Where were they? That's like, you know, having your protective wall made of balsa wood, you know, a millimeter thick. There's no protection. So I look, I I think of the pastors, the elders of Corinth, and I don't think highly of them. But then I think about Chloe. Wow. What righteousness. What beautiful, beautiful righteousness. And so look what happens here. The three ends in verse five. Then I will set my face against that man and against his family And I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. Whoa, that is hardcore. Hardcore harlotry. And yes, sin is bad. the the act of sacrifice unto Molech. Yes, it's a bad thing. Indeed, it's a bad thing. But it almost seems like complicity is worse. What do you mean complicity? Look at these people who hid their eyes from the man. Who knew about it and just turned the other way. You know, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want nothing to do with it. Don't be that way. If you're a pastor or if you're an elder, you can't be silent when things need to be corrected in the church. People will hate you. Straight up. You know, I tell you from experience, people will hate you. They'll make fun of you. They'll spread whatever about you. But you know what? So be it. You're honoring the Lord jesus christ he's the pastor he's the head of the church you're honoring him you're a servant of him and him alone you say well you know i want to be a servant to this guy well okay that's fine if the lord tells you remember it's his manifold grace one body with many parts in obedience to the lord the lord might call you in one capacity To serve at tables. The Lord might call you in another capacity to teach people. Yeah, you love the people, but above the people, you love the Lord. And your service is unto Him. The benefactors are the people. A lot of people, they fear people more than God. A lot of pastors, a lot of elders, they fear people more than God. I've had, you know, somebody comes to me me, and they say, you know, pre-COVID, they come to me, oh, I don't like how you teach like this. You know, it'd be a shame if I went to this other church. I mean, you know, yeah, from my perspective, you'd break my heart because I know what I feed you. But I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I don't force you here. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you must fear the Lord more than people and serve the Lord now if you're not a pastor if you're an elder it's not to denigrate you be like chloe you see these you know so-called pastors think of the so-called pastors in Corinth or the so-called elders in Corinth or the so-called deacons in Corinth the so-called ministry leaders in Corinth where in the world were they that's what i want to know where were they they weren't on guard they weren't on watch they fell asleep when they should have been on guard. They fell asleep, which is very dangerous. But you know who wasn't sleeping? Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. And so look what happens here. Very hardcore. Yes, the, you read these passages and it makes you wonder like, wow, it's, it's almost like uh, complicity is a lot worse. And the Lord is telling the people don't hide your eyes, address the sin. You know, there's this common saying where you know what, love God, or, or you know, just love on people, and then God will take care of the rest. That's not biblical. You know, love on people, and then God will take care of the rest. The rest that's not biblical. Loving people, in in loving people, you have to give truth. And truth hurts. But the truth of scripture, however painful it is, it's painful because the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is addressing carnality. He's addressing my sin. He's addressing your sin. Why? Because He loves us. He's transforming us. He's shaping us into His image. Let Him. Don't fight Him. Let Him. People say, oh, you just love on people and God will take care of the rest. That is totally unbiblical. He certainly does take care of things. He certainly does take care of business, but it's worse for those who are silent. Say, well, are you trying to say that we should stone people? No way whatsoever. But you cannot be a hypocrite. You cannot be a hypocrite. If you're a pastor or if you're an elder or if you're in a position where you are correcting another brother or sister in the Lord, you cannot be a hypocrite. You cannot... You cannot... Tell another brother about their drugs, about their alcohol, about their sexual sin, about their pornography, about their cheating on taxes. You cannot tell another brother if the problem exists in yourself. That's called hypocrisy. And the Lord doesn't like that. The Lord forbids that. You are biblically incapable of correcting another brother or sister in Christ. Incapable. There's no power. You can say it. But there's no power behind it. You can say it, but there's no conviction behind it. It's like a battery. You know, a battery or a flashlight. You take the battery. It has to go in the proper way. You know, negative to, you know, you look at the little minus sign. You look at the little plus sign and you put the, the battery in accordingly. Well, if you're a hypocrite, flip it around. You know, you might, you know, have a battery, a power source. And then you put it in, but it's not right. You, you know screw in the little thing. You turn on the flashlight and nothing comes on. There's no power. Because the, it's, it's flipped around. You got it wrong. You have to apply God's word in your life. Live it. And then the Lord will use you as His vessel. As a servant in His household. The same way He did with Moses. The same way He did with Chloe. Very powerful when we start to think this way about the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just just anybody can wield this power. The wielder of the power must first be a yielder to the Word. That's what you see in the New Testament. That's what you see in the book of Acts. You see, Simon didn't understand this. Remember the Holy Spirit bypassed Simon? Because his heart wasn't right with the Lord. Yeah, he believed. It's like, okay, that's good, he believed. But there was no power. He had the battery flipped. You see? Same exact concept here in the Old Testament. Don't be silent. When you see sin, don't be silent. And so look what happens here. In verse uh, 6, And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits, translates as wizards or the knowing ones, the so-called knowing ones, and the necromancers, people who talk to the, uh, to de- to the dead, the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute, themso- to prostitute himself with them. Notice verse 5, to prostitute themselves, and then in verse 6, to prostitute himself. It's all self-inflicted. All self-inflicted. It translates in the Hebrew to prostitute yourself. It, it's a verb. It's to go whoring. It's not a pretty picture. You're going to see we study these passages in the, in the Old Testament like we're doing now. And the Lord calls Israel His chosen people. But then you read some of the books in the Minor Prophets. And the Lord says, you guys have played the harlot. You guys have are, are whores because you go to these other gods. It's not a pretty picture. Now, it's not to say that God isn't loving. Look at the time period, you know, how he's long-suffering in the Old Testament and the Testament. But then at the same time, remember, he's also just. Just. Yes, he loves. But he's also just. I mean, Imagine you go to courtroom. You go to court. You're convicted of whatever crime. And the judge says, okay, I'm going to sentence you to five years in jail, five years in prison. And you say, hey, judge, can I say something real quick? Uh, uh, how about if I write you a check for, you know, $500,000? Uh, dollars i write you a check. And the judge says, okay, time served. You're free to go. Give me the check. And you give him the check and you're, you know, you're so-called free. No, you know what? That judge is crooked. It's a fake judge. Crooked judge. There's no justice in him. There's just the opposite corruption in him. That's definitely, definitely not like our Lord. He is just. And the wages of sin is death. You say, oh, you're just using fear tactics. You want me to be a belief because of fear tactics. Well, I'm not trying to use fear tactics. But let me tell you something. When I wasn't a believer, that freaked me out. That scared the daylights out of me. Whoa, you mean the wages of sin is death? Yes, yes. That's freaky. That scares me when I think about eternity. And it's so beautiful how the Lord uses that. Some people, they come to the Lord because they love Him. Praise be to the Lord. Some other other people, they come to the Lord because they fear Him. Praise be to the Lord. Some people come to the Lord because they want a friend. Praise be to the Lord. Don't forget that He is Lord. He's a friend. He is Lord. Don't forget, just like, remember Joseph, a type of Christ? How his brothers, they kind of like, you know, oh, come on, Joseph, you know, who are you? Just a little pipsqueak. And it got so much, so, you know, they kind of he was kind of like the runt of the family. And he's like, hey, guys, I had a dream. Oh, okay, what was your dream? You guys were worshiping me. What? And then, you know, Jacob comes in. What was your dream? Yeah, you guys, everybody was worshiping me, even you, Dad. Everybody thought I was crazy. It got to the point where they wanted to kill him but as a type of Christ in the course of time something happened they all bowed down to him that's the same with Jesus Christ you know yet yeah, his yoke is easy his burden is light and you can fall in love with him you can consider him a friend but in so loving Him, something else transitions in part of the, the changing, the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Something else happens where you start to fear Him. And it's not, it's a reverence for Him and it's a, a healthy fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then you worship Him. My Lord and my God. So beautiful how the Lord works, how He teaches us these things in the Old Testament. Look, we're in Leviticus, we're learning these things, and I referenced already uh, Joseph, Old Testament, and we're New Covenant believers. That's what I mean when I say Old Testament, interpreting the New, the New interpreting the Old. Because we're also studying Leviticus, and we've also talked about Chloe. You see, being in the Word of God, the confines of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that's where there's safety. And so look what happens here in verse six and the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself it's a verb to go whoring with them he says i will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people now don't forget it's like well this is hardcore stuff yes it is hardcore number one understand that this is the law but then number two understand that the lord brought the people out of egypt his own special people out of egypt and in this whole time he's been teaching them about consecration unto, not to, unto self, unto him, unto the Lord. The same way you and I have to make a decision. Am I even consecrated? Ask yourself that question. Am I consecrated? If the answer is no, well, change that. If the answer is yes, ask yourself a next, the, the second question. Unto who? If the answer is self, you know, me, repent. Get off the throne of your heart and have Jesus Christ, as Lord, you're king of my life. Forgive me, Lord. Repent. Allow Jesus Christ to be king of your life, king of your heart. Allow him to sit on the throne of your heart. You know why? Because he's Lord. That's just so beautiful about these moments of introspection. These moments of intimacy with the Lord. We can understand these things, but then at the same time, we're confronted with a choice. This is what the Lord says in verse 7. Consecrate yourselves, therefore. You see passages in the Old Testament and New Testament where godly people, they purpose in their hearts. Purpose in their hearts to honor the Lord. And that's my exhortation to you today. Purpose in your heart to honor the Lord with decisions you make. Honor the Lord with your body. Honor the Lord with your mind, with every fiber of your being. Turn with me really quick to First Peter chapter one. First <clears throat> Peter chapter one, verse 13. Brother Peter writes He says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind it's so powerful when you see words like this to gird up your minds wow gird up your minds let me just think about that for a moment how do you gird up your minds i mean you know have you ever worn like a like a long sleeve shirt and you're gonna like do some like physical something physical what do you do you kind of unbutton it you know loosen the tie unbutton the first button You know, roll up your sleeves. You're going to get down. Maybe, you know, untuck your shirt because, you know, you're going to get down and dirty. That's what the Lord is saying here. Gird up your loins. Not just your loins physically, but the loins of your mind. How do we do that? He says it here in verse 13. Be sober. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. Remember, the former lusts. That's the old flesh, the old or the old man, the old woman. That's why the Bible teaches us to reckon the old man dead. You hear me say that from time to time, reckon the old man dead, maybe quite a bit. I don't just say it, you know, for the sake of saying it. I say it for the sake of, hey, let's do it. As a congregation, as a body, as the koinonia, as the ecclesia, to reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead. As Brother Peter says here, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. You see, in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy. For I am holy. It's so powerful when we see these reiterations. Old Testament and New Testament. Moses and Peter, Moses and Paul, Joshua and Paul. It's you know, Old Testament interpreting the new, new, interpreting the old. The full counsel of the word of God. You say, Wow, we're in Leviticus, that's the law. I'm a Christian, I'm a new covenant believer. Well, notice these parallels. Brother Peter says, be holy for I am holy. You know, in verse 16, be holy for I am holy, referencing the Lord. But Moses also says it as well. Both are servants in the household of God. Both Moses and Peter. Read Hebrews. Understand these things. And so going back to Leviticus, in Leviticus 20, verse 7, Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am the Lord your God. And you shall keep my statutes and perform them. To keep is to protect and to guard. And that's what the Lord is saying. Protect and guard my statutes. And not just, no, period. Do them. Just as we're told to not only be a hearer of the word, but to be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. To take God's holy word and, you know, we hear it, we read it, and then all of a sudden we apply it. Applying the word of God in my life, in your life, as the ecclesia, a koinonia, we do it corporately as a church body. He says, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You know, if there's ever a moment in your life where you think like, man, I don't think God sees me. I don't think God, get that thought out of your mind. He sees you. The same way he did with Nathaniel, the same way he did with Cornelius, he sees, he knows. When you protect and you guard his word in your heart, in your mind, and then you apply it, if there's ever a thought in your mind that says, oh, God doesn't see it, he certainly does. Get that thought out of your mind. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's Satan trying to extract that from you. Whispering in your ear, don't believe the lie. This is a murder from the beginning. Don't believe him. You believe in Jesus Christ and His Word. The Word became flesh. And so, look what happens here. He says in verse eight, "I am the Lord who sanctifies you." In verse nine, "For everyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death." He has cursed his father, or mo- he has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Now, we've already studied, you know, about honoring your Lord or, or honoring your parents, respecting your parents. And, you know, sometimes, you know, in in the church, sometimes parents are crazy. (laughs) Parents can be crazy, you know, especially like if they're non-believers. You're a believer and, you know, mom and dad are crazy. You still respect them. I like to think of mayors and governors and even presidents. I respect the office. I respect the position. I respect their authority. There's are certain mayors, certain governors that politically, uh, morally, scripturally, I just don't like. I mean, I, 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 love, I pray for their souls, but their policies, I don't like. I cannot align with. But if I were called into a mayor's office, I would, you know, dress up, present myself to him or her, and respect the office. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You know, answer questions. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Offer my input, whatever it was. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Do my deal. You know, they're not going to be my best friends. You know, they have policies that bring dishonor to the Lord. They have policies that dishonor the church. They have policies that come against the church. But I'm not going to, you know, be like, oh, you know, oh, you, I'm not going to kill them. I'm not going to put on my boxing gloves and beat them up. It's like a Paul, our, our study on Sunday. Look at Paul before the the leaders, the 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 the, uh, the upper class society, high society, before the uh, the king, before the governor. Look at him before the political the political class, and even Agrippa says, you know, Paul, you you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul wasn't mean. Paul didn't say, oh, look what you've done to the Christians. Look at what your family history has done to the Christians. You know, I'm going to pull out my switchblade and handle business. No way, that is carnal. Put up your dukes, Agrippa. I'm going to beat you up. That is carnal. That is not the way. That is dishonor unto the Lord. Look at Paul. When Agrippa, a Herodian, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. He says, I sure do. But even, you know, not just almost a Christian, but, you know, just like me. Well, except for these chains, you see. Purpose, have purpose in his heart to live peaceably among men, to include the leadership, to include the government. And so look what happens here in verse... In verse... uh uh, 9, where you said, you know, Oh, we read verse 9 already, but, you know, he has cursed his father or mother. So I fully understand some parents are crazy, straight up crazy. You know, if you're a Christian and they're non-Christian, or maybe they claim to be Christian, and, you know, they're drinking beer, they're doing all kinds of things, going, to you know, doing all kinds of, you know, grotesque things, and they claim to be a Christian, and, you know, they're getting high. Well, honor them, pretend they're like the, the mayors, those, you know, mayors, those governors. Honor their position, respect them. Because it's not, it's in obedience to the Lord. It's because of Him. It's in submission to Jesus Christ. He's the one, let Him do the dividing. Remember, Jesus Christ says, I didn't come to bring peace. Don't, don't think I came to bring peace. He says that, the Prince of Peace. Straight up says, don't think I came to bring peace. I came to divide. I came to divide. A man's enemies will be those in his own household. It's prophetic. You know, you strive to live peaceably with men in obedience to the Lord. But at the same time, you don't love people more than God. You love the Lord and you fear the Lord. And you submit to Him. You stay obedient to Jesus Christ. And you know what? He does the dividing. Let Him do the dividing. Because it's prophetic. The wheat and the tares. They have to grow together. And the whole time you're fishing too. Not casting your pearls before swine. Maybe little nuggets. And you're praying. Hardcore praying. Or like that your carpet is matted down. Because, you know, that's your little prayer spot. And it's so beautiful. Look what happens here in verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now he starts to address sexual sin inside the camp. This is in Israel. But it's the same in the church today. Look at, you know, you could look at the sexual sin in the world and indeed it is palpable. But you know what's so interesting? You could step foot inside the church and you look at the sexual sin and it is equally the same. The world entering the church. Instead of the church entering the world, impacting the world, you have the world impacting the church. You know, remember the woman caught in adultery? And, you know, they they just brought the female. Lord, you know, hey, Jesus, look, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Number one, where's the guy? It takes two to tango. Where's the guy? And look at the law here. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. I wonder if the Lord reminded them of this. Where's the guy? Look at verse 11. The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now you start to understand Paul's righteous indignation at the church in Corinth. When he found out, when Chloe wrote her beautiful letter. Hey Paul, something's wrong. There's a guy here who's having sex with his dad's wife. Now you understand Paul's righteous indignation when he says, you guys, you rejoice, you're praising the Lord, you're saying your hallelujahs, but your rejoicing isn't good because there's sin in the camp and sin needs to be addressed. Why wasn't there a pastor who wrote a letter to Paul? Number one, why wasn't there a pastor who addressed it himself? Why wasn't there an elder who addressed it himself? Or a deacon who addressed it himself or herself as church leadership, as the safeguards, as the bulwarks. But no, it was beautiful, Chloe. Look at her righteousness. I wondered if Chloe exhausted herself, like going to another pastor, going to another elder, going to another deacon. Hey, you guys, this isn't right. Can something be done? Can you say something? Can you address this? Look, a guy's having sex with his dad's wife. And they say, oh, Chloe, just, you know, just let's just love on them and let God take care of the rest. Well, God certainly did take care of the rest because Chloe wrote a letter to Paul. And Paul says, hey, your rejoicing isn't good. A little leaven leavens the bunch. You say, well, that's hardcore. Well, what's better, to burn in hell? That's, I don't see that as the better alternative. What's better for a little leaven to be in the church and then all of a sudden everybody else? All the guys in the church to have start, start having sex with their dad's wives? Is that better? Knowing that a little leaven leavens the bunch? Is that better? You start to understand the wisdom in application of God's word. Just how Paul dealt with the church. It's not good you guys cut it out. You need to Repent. And so look what happens here in verse 12. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Is there perversion in the church today? You don't need me to even ask that. You know the answer yourself. Indeed, there is perversion in the church today. You know, how this perversion translates in the Hebrew, it's an unnatural mixture and includes bestiality. The unnatural, it's unnatural. A a, a, a man lies with his daughter in law? You read that as a what? How can this be? But then you look inside the church and what do you see? What do you see in the church today? I don't know, say this as like, sometimes I, 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 people used to tell me when we, you know, we had face-to-face fellowship, you know. People used to tell me all the time, you know, like, oh, you know, can you not say this? Can you not say this? I don't like how you say it like this. Well, what's the better alternative? You know, let's just love this person and let God take care of the rest. Well, I read the Bible and you know, a lot of times you read passages in scripture and God says, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna take care of it and I'm gonna use you, Jeremiah. That's how I'm gonna take care of it. Yeah, I'm gonna take care of it, Ezekiel, and I'm gonna use you. That's how I'm gonna take care of it. Amos, Moses, I'm gonna take care of it. I'm gonna use you. That's how I'm gonna take care of it. Chloe, Paul, and then you know what? Put your name there as well. You abide in Christ, put your name there as well. That's how the Lord deals with these things. Yes, there's the power of the Holy Spirit, but you gotta have the batteries in right. Don't be like Simon, where the Holy Spirit skipped over him. He had zero power. Imagine him being in ministry. There's a lot of people in ministry that have zero power. I could name names, but you know what? I'll I'll hold off for now. There's a lot of people that it's an act. It's all for show. But you know what? When the chips are down, it's going to be exposed who these people are. Hirelings. Shills. Where are the shepherds? Perversion. In the camp of Israel. And what do we see today? Perversion inside the church. I mean, you hear me say stuff like, like... I shouldn't say stuff, but you hear me read these passages? In verse 10, a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, and then with his neighbor's wife, and then a father's wife, and then you know a, 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 a man with his daughter-in-law. It's like, whoa, what in the world? Why is this even being mentioned? It's like so, it's unnatural. But yet it has to be mentioned. And it's mentioned repetitively. We're going to read more passages of this nature, this sexual nature. We're going to understand like the unnatural use of the human body. There is such a thing. And it spreads. If it's not addressed, it spreads. It's leaven. He says this in verse 12. Uh, uh, they have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. It's the sexual sin. In the camp of Israel and also in the church today. And so, you know, you address the problem. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, the problem needs to be addressed. Carnality needs to be addressed. All the time. 100% of the time. Just like Brother Peter says, hey, be holy for I am holy. What does Moses say? Be holy for the Lord is holy. When Peter said it, he didn't say it like I am holy. He says, be holy for I am holy. isn't like the Lord says it. That's Brother Peter. I'll say something too as we discuss this topic of sexual sin. Say, for example, you have an abundance of sexual sin and you believe in Jesus Christ and you fear the Lord. Something happens inside, in the heart, in the mind. Something happens. It's not immediate, it can be immediate. But a process starts to happen. You read the word. You fall in love with Jesus Christ, and it's not just like an initial love. It's an initial love, but it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and you fall so much in love with Him. And then something happens. Your eyes are in the Word of God, and then you lift your eyes up and you're in the world. And you're kind of bummed out because you realize you're in the world, but something starts to happen. And you start to realize that you're getting lonelier. Moses says, be holy for the Lord is holy. Peter says, be holy for the Lord is holy. And you're like, okay, Moses and Peter, servants in the household of God, they say be holy. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be holy. I'm going to read the word of God and I'm going to apply the word of God in my life. And you're going to get lonelier and lonelier and lonelier because you have these friends in the world, friends in the church. They're not going to like it. You're just going to start to realize when you're in the world, man, I don't even belong here. I don't fit any. You're like a square peg. All these circle holes, all these triangle holes, and you're like a square peg. I don't even fit. You're going to be among men. And maybe a year ago, two years ago, you, you're you know join them in the locker room talk. But because you've been transformed into the image of Christ spiritually, all of a sudden, it's like, man, your jargon changes. You don't speak like that. You don't think like that. You don't even fit among the fellas, you don't even fit inside the church. You know, if you're female, in the women, you don't fit among women. You're a square peg, and with a bunch of circles, a bunch of triangles, a bunch of rectangles, and you're a square. And you just don't fit. And even in the church, in the last day's church, you don't even fit. It's very lonely. But it's also very beautiful because you have intimacy with the Lord. And the Lord is going to teach you more and more and more. Like, hey, you're just passing through. You're just a sojourner. This world is not your home. You know where home is? Paradise. With Jesus Christ. Zion. Zion. That's home for the Christian. And so look what happens here. In verse 13, more sexual sin. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, if you're a homosexual, you have homosexual tendencies, and you're listening to my message, let me tell you something. God loves you he loves you period oh but homosexuality is an abomination you're right it is a lot of christians they like to point on the homosexual the homosexuals and the lesbians as oh it's so disgusting and yeah abomination is disgusting it is disgusting but then you read the passages of Scripture and, you know, there's a lot, an abundance of more things that is disgusting. Look at the heterosexual sin that we've been reading about. And a lot of Christians, they really do a disservice, disservice unto the Lord for the sake of His creation. If you're a homosexual, God loves you. Come out of her, my people. That's what I say to you. Come out of that lifestyle. The same exact way I came out of a sexual lifestyle. If you're a lesbian, come out of my people. Believe in Jesus Christ. Repent and be born again. God loves you. He sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. There's these passages in the Old Testament which are hardcore, hardcore, hardcore against sexual sin. And a lot of times people say, oh yeah, homosexuality, you know, this, that, whatever. But they fail to forget, or they fail to remember heterosexual sin. A man sleeping, in verse 10, another man's wife, his neighbor's wife. In verse 11... The fa- a man who lies with his father's wife, in verse twelve, a man who lies with his daughter-in-law. We, as the as the church, we we forget about heterosexual sin. Why is that? Hypocrisy. Don't forget that whenever you point the finger at somebody, you have three pointing right back at you. Never ever forget that, hypocrisy. You cannot be a hypocrite. Before you correct somebody, you cannot be a hypocrite. You gotta take the plank out of your own eye. Because then you can see clearly. And when you see clearly, then you're able to correct another brother. Then you're able to correct another sister. If you're a homosexual, if you're a lesbian, God loves you. You have to deny that lifestyle. In accepting Jesus Christ, it comes with denying certain lifestyles. The same way it it cost me. Acknowledging and accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord, I had to, n- to deny a lot of things. Come out of her, my people. And so look what happens here in verse 14. If a man marries a woman and her mother, it is wickedness. And you read these passages like wow, where where are they? where are they? Where where are they getting themselves? Where are they going? More like it, it sounds like. Look at the world today. Look at the life of a Christian. Look at your life, and then look at the world around you. You're gonna see a lot of parallels. When you think of the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, when you think of all these different people, the Canaanites with their sacrifice unto Moloch. You're gonna understand. Wow, you know what? God has his special people right smack dab in the middle and he's taking them from point A to point B the same exact way he's doing with you and me today. Taking you from point A to point B and he's doing it safely. How? Through his word. As you apply these truths in your heart, as you apply these truths in your mind, and you apply them in your life, conduct, becoming of a Christian, there's safety behind it. Sound doctrine. There's safety behind it. Because He doesn't want you to go out and you know be like the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites. Metaphorically speaking, but when you look at the idolatry of these people, a lot of it parallels the idolatry you see in the world today. And so look what happens here in verse 14. If a man marries a woman and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, and there that there may be no wickedness among you. Now you see, A lot of mockers today, they say, wow, look, you know, you kill them, you stone them, you burn them. Don't forget that it was the Lord in Exodus 33. And I mentioned this already, but I'm going to do it again. The Lord said in Exodus 33, I'm not going with you. You, Moses, you take these people to the land of milk and honey. And you guys are stiff-necked. I'm not going to go with you. Because if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. And then Moses interceded. And then the Lord gave the Ten Commandments But this time it was with blood, with sacrifice. Symbolic of Jesus Christ. Sacrifice. And then the Lord says, okay, I'll go. You know, I'm gonna be with you, but there has to be sacrifice. Life for life. Remember, life is in the blood. There has to be blood. We're gonna see passages where there's just immense amounts of blood. Immense, I mean, like one animal. You think of the blood of one ox. You know, you you, you 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 know, a knife in the throat of an ox, that's a lot of blood. You know, an ox, they're, they're, that's not a small animal. That's a lot of blood. What about ox after ox after ox after ox, and then sheep after sheep and then lamb after lamb after lamb, and then you know, turtle dove. You know, that's a little bit of blood compared to an ox, but there's still blood nonetheless. It's a lot of blood. You know what that means? A lot of sin. A lot of people need to be right with the Lord. A lot of souls need to be right with the Lord. The same exact way it is with you and me today. A lot of people need to be right with the Lord. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you cannot be silent. You cannot hide your face from sin. Don't be like that. Don't be a scaredy cat. You need to honor the Lord. Now, if you're a pew Christian, be like Chloe. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. All these... Uh, so called pastors and elders dereliction of duty asleep at the wheel be like chloe and so look what happens here in verse 15 if a man mates with an animal he shall surely be put to death and you shall kill and you and you shall kill the animal you see bestiality a guy having sex with an animal They're like what in the world and you know what's so sad? We're going to see passages like this and understand like, "Wow, the law, how could these even be? How could this even happen? And then we're going to keep reading in the Bible in the Old Testament, and you aren't going to see people doing it. God becomes forgotten. One generation doesn't tell the next generation, which doesn't tell the next generation, and then all of a sudden, who is the Lord? Who is this God you speak of? Oh, my grandma, she used to tell me about the Lord all the time, but eh, it's for fairy tales. It's all, it's folklore. That's what we're going to see. What happens when the Lord becomes forgotten? So as much as we read this, it's like, man, that is so gross. That is so disgusting. Yes, it is. But then at the same time, remember where he came from. Remember, we talked about that a little bit on Sunday. You know, if you're on a Christian high horse, get off the horse. People need to hear this. Homosexuals need to hear this. Lesbians need to hear of God's love. Homosexuals need to hear of God's love. People in sexual sin, they need to hear of God's love. They need to know that God loves them. And God is calling them to say, hey, come out of them. Come out of that lifestyle. And yes, it's God's love, but then at the same time to understand that He is just. This door of grace isn't going to be open forever. And so look what happens here in verse 16. If a woman approaches any animal and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. It is wickedness. Wickedness, you know, when the disciples ask Jesus Christ, what are be the sign of your times? What are be the events of the last days? He says it's gonna be just as the days of Noah. The days of Noah. Knowing that, <clears throat> let's go to Genesis chapter six. Genesis six. And in Genesis six, a little refresher course. Because we've studied this already. And look at verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Continually and the lord was sorry that he had made man on earth and he was grieved in his heart and this word for sorry in the hebrew that's what it means it's like to breathe to, it translates as in the hebrew as to breathe a like a strong sigh i mean have you ever like like you made a mistake and you're just like ah oh, you know it's like that sigh it's like you, you do something wrong and it's like uh, or like a sigh of disapproval. Maybe you have a son or a daughter and it's like you love them and you want the best for them and they just made a bad choice. And you're just like, oh, son, baby girl, what'd you do? And that's what the Lord says here. He was grieved in his heart. He was sorry. He had that sigh that he had made man on earth and he was grieved in his heart. But you know what? As Christians, it is 100% possible. It is possible To grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And that comes out of intimacy with Jesus Christ. You read His Word. You study His Word. You understand His Word. And at the same time, you allow the Word to do a work in your heart to change your mind. You were a homosexual You were in like hardcore sexual sin. You're a lesbian. You're whatever. That was the old nature. You believe in Jesus Christ. And he's given you a new mind, a new spirit, a new heart. You think differently. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden when you're at certain forks in the road, you're like, wow, Lord, I don't want to grieve your spirit. I've done that before. I don't want to bring you dishonor. I don't want to grieve you. And then you make choices that honor the Lord. And there is so much power in that. It's A lot of times people think of the power of the Holy Spirit as like, you know, you see it on TBN. Tricking believers nightly. You see it on TBN, you know, the people like wave their hands and, you know, a big audience falls. The big, you know, like the whole audience falls. That's a mockery. You know, those teachers, the so-called teachers, they're going to give an account for those things. They need to repent and they need to step down. But they're going to give an account. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But they will give an account as surely as the Lord lives. And it just blows me away so much how people have turned, in, turned the power of the Holy Spirit into like, you know, like a superhero. You know, you see these cheesy movies. You know, people have these supernatural abilities. You know, if that's your mindset, you know, get that mindset out. That's like Simon. Remember, Simon wanted to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit. And Brother Peter, the good Simon, you know, he said, Repent. You know, ask the Lord. Go to the Lord. You know, the Holy Spirit skipped over you, Simon. And it's such a trip because that's how sometimes we start to think of the Holy Spirit. And if that's you, don't think that way. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. It's part of the triune nature of the Lord. He is part of the triune nature of the Lord. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what the Lord teaches the days of Noah. You know, when Jesus Christ says it's the last days, it's like the days of Noah. Look at culture in the days of Noah. You know, He's indeed flesh. The thoughts in verse 6 or verse 5, the every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And then you look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the days of Noah, be a Noah. Male, female, I don't care. But in these days of Noah, be a Noah. Purpose in your heart to be like Noah. Find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let's go back to Leviticus. In verse 17. If a man takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness. And she sees hidden his nakedness. It is a wicked thing. You know, so much. Sexuality has been reduced to, like, you know, we're not rabbits. We're humans created in the image of God. You know, and it just blows me away because there's this, we live in this age and culture of sexual exploration, sexual freedom. But you see passages like this. What does the Bible call it? Wickedness. Wickedness. Parents, teach your kids. Teach your kids because the current of the world, it is strong. And if you don't teach your kids the current of the world, the current of culture, it's going to suck your kids away. It is a strong, strong, strong thing. You need to teach your kids. I've had parents tell me, hey, I don't like how you teach like this. I don't like how you teach like this. Okay, you know what? I'll pray about it, you know? And then I pray. It's like, you believe what you said, Lord? (laughs) You know, and I go and pray. And then, like, you know, they invite me over for dinner. I go over for dinner. And it's like, you know, they're watching TV. It's like, what in the world? You don't want me to teach what the Bible says about this? And you're watching this filth on your TV? You're watching these, you know, whatever's happening on TV? And you're subjecting your family to that, but then when they come to church, they don't want to hear about that particular sexual sin and what the Lord has to say about it, and you don't like what I have to say about it? I don't say that in a prideful way. I say like, you know, let's see what the Word says. You know, have you ever seen worldly parents teach their kids about, you know, sexual education? And they give this advice, you know, like a, a, a little kid, Has a crush on a girl. A little girl has a crush on a boy. And you see these worldly parents. The counsel that they give to their kids. And it's sad. Because the kid thinks, okay, my dad taught me this. So therefore, I'm going to do this with a girl. My mom taught me this. So therefore, I'm going to do this with a boy. And you have like little 12-year-old boy, 12-year-old girl. And they're just raised up in carnality. A parent is not teaching the kids righteousness. And we can look at that and be like, wow, it's such a shame. And yeah, culturally, it's a shame. But you know what? How are they going to know? How do you expect righteousness to come from the world? No, righteousness comes from the Word of God. And you read the Word of God. You study the Word of God. The Holy Spirit does the work inside of you. And then the Lord will address those cultural issues. And you know who He uses? You. The salt. Don't let your salt lose its flavor. Because if it does, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. We look at culture today and what's happening. It's being trampled underfoot by men. As the Word says. As the Word teaches. You have little ones. Teach them. Teach them. This world is no joke. No joke. Uh, Sexual sin, the drugs, the alcohol, the whatever, it will suck your kids away. You got to teach them. And teach them well. Teach them the word of the Lord. Give them Jesus Christ so that they can make these decisions for themselves. And so look what happens here. In verse... um, if he's 17, if a man takes his sister, his father's daughter or his mother's daughter and sees her nakedness and she sees his nakedness, it is wicked. You know, social media, like they see the nakedness on social media. I used to have all these friends. Anytime I see nakedness or like, you know, like, you know, low cut shirts or certain attire. I just, you know, look, I'm not, I'm you know, I'm not the unfollow button, you know. So like I have like zero you know, social media, like nobody because I unfollow. It's like, look, I, I'm not going to subject my eyes to that. So unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. And, you know, I just have, like, two people. You know, you like, you're five months off of social media and then, like, you know, you just click on the thing and you look and it's like in 10 seconds you're caught up. Because I, I I I don't want to subject myself to that. Be very careful what you subject your eyes to. Be very, very careful. Make a covenant with your eyes. Men. Women, too, but as a guy, Men. <laughs> And so look what happens here, in verse you know in the end of verse seventeen he shall bear his guilt. And a lot of people say nakedness is no big deal, but you know what? It's a huge deal. Your mind you have to protect, your body you have to protect, your soul you have to protect. And sometimes I speak these things, and I speak as such, and people say, "Oh, don't you? You sound like you're holier than thou." No. Let's erase everybody. If you're going to come at me with that argument, you know, don't be holier than thou. Let's let's erase everybody out of the equation. All your friends, all your family, and it's just you, and it's just me. And you tell me, hey, you sound like you're holier than thou. Okay? So let's look at the equation. Let's break it up a little bit. You know who the thou is? That's you. And... I'm getting my counsel from Moses and Peter when they say, be holy for the Lord is holy. So what's the issue? You point your finger at me and say, you know, you sound holier than thou. Well, there's two people in this equation. There's you and there's me. And I'm following the counsel of Moses. I'm following the counsel of Peter. That's my answer. What's your answer? I'm going to point back at you and I'm going to tell you, consecrate yourself. Reckon the old man dead. If you're a female, reckon the old woman dead. Reckon that person dead. Carry your cross, the instrument of death. Carry it and be holy. Remember Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You say, oh, that sounds like works-based salvation. No, it's not works-based at all. It's obedience unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's for Him, unto His name. I've had people tell me that. You know, elders, they say, oh, don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. And that's the dumbest counsel I've ever heard. There's some other dumb counsel. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're not earthly good. Well, let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, and you're honoring the Lord. You are not. This, this world is not worthy of you. You're just passing through. We talked about that last week in our study in Hebrews. You know, we touched on Hebrews. This world is not worthy of you. You say like, wow, that sounds pretty lofty. You think highly of yourself. No, I, I'm trash. I think highly of Jesus Christ and the work that He's done in my life. What about your life, my friend? I don't want to come off as holier than thou. But if you're going to throw that argument at me, and it's just you and me in the argument, you're the thou. And I say unto you, Be holy, for the Lord is holy. Consecrate yourself. Just as is written here. You know in verse seven, consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I the Lord for I am the Lord your God, in verse eight, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them, I am the Lord who sanctifies you, it's a two-way street. you consecrate yourself, and the Lord consecrates you. How does it happen through the Word by the power of the Holy Spirit, as you protect and guard his teaching the word the teaching of the Word of God in your heart and your mind, and then you do them? It's that process of transformation. And it's so beautiful. Look what happens here in verse 18. If a man lies with a woman during her sickness, translates as her menstrual cycle, and uncovers her nakedness, he has exposed her flow, which translates in the Hebrew as demolished her fountain. You know, I love passages like this, especially when you look at the Hebrew, or you look at like the Greek, uh, 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 Greek text, or in some cases, some passages, the Aramaic text. And it's so beautiful because it's like, "Wow, demolished her fountain." You know, if a man lies with a woman during her sickness or her menstrual cycle and uncovers her nakedness, he has demolished her fountain. And I don't want to sound graphic. In no way, shape, or form do I want to come off as being graphic. But I see passages like this, and it's just so beautiful. Because you think about the demolition of a fountain, and it's like, you know, a beautiful, beautiful fountain. And, you know, I say this, I, I'm a little different from people, you know. There's certain, like, uh, okay, uh, I'm kind of, you know, I'm a little artsy, you know. So there's that, I don't like to tell people because it's like, you know, I'm supposed to be a tough guy. <laughs> You know, <laughs> but I'm a little artsy. You know, have you ever stood like in a, like a museum and you just stand in front of a painting and you can stand there for hour upon hour upon hour and you're like weeping. It's like, you see like brushstrokes, you see the depth of brush. Maybe there's like a big chunk of paint and then you see the circles around it and you see brushstroke, the color, all these things. And it's like, wow, it's just so beautiful breathtaking, and you see these pieces of art, or like music, like a symphony, or like a ballet, and you see these things, and you just sit there, and you're just like mouth open, like, oh my goodness, or to hear a symphony, to hear a musician, to hear a cellist, to hear, you know, whoever, and they're like playing their flute, or whatever, and they're like, you know, I don't want to sound carnal in saying this, I just don't know how else to say it, but it's like they're making love to your soul. And I don't mean that in worldly sense. It's just like your heart is like, wow. It's like right in your heart. It's like, wow, what just an expression. And that's what I love so much about reading Hebrew text. Or reading, you know, not so much the I mean, the Greek too, but like I get it a lot in the Hebrew text. Or like in the Psalms or the Proverbs. It's like, wow, it's like beautiful poetry. I mean, have you ever read poetry? And then like, it's like, a, one line, two line, three line, and you're just weeping because it's like, wow, this is just such so beautifully written. And you read passages like this, if a man lies with a woman during her sickness or her menstrual cycle and uncovers her naked, he exposes her floor, or he demolishes her fountain. It's like, whoa. I never thought of it like that. And that's what's so beautiful about teaching The next generation, if you're a parent and you teach your kid, like the world has its brand of sex ed, sex education, you know, the world, you know, they're teaching sex ed to kindergartners now, you know, and they have these, you know, because of social distancing, you know, they close down the schools and they have these things, the parent slips where parents have to sign, you know, I will not be present in the room when my kid is on their Zoom meeting. That's garbage. What in the world are these teachers doing with these kids? bunch of sickos you gonna have some sicko teach my son teach my daughter about sex ed teaching them about this and then i have to sign this form saying you know uh, i can't be present in the room parents aren't gonna be here in my own house i can't be in the room stupid no you know what parents have a hardcore choice to make you know private school or home school public school is garbage it is garbage they're just indoctrinating kids so they have these sex ed classes. But you know what's so much more beautiful? Is to teach the next generation of righteousness, sex education, but as defined in Holy Scripture. Because kids are going to have these passions. You have, you know, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, they're going to go through puberty, all these things. They're going to have these hormones. And to teach them from the Word of God. You know, uh, a fountain. A fountain. Who thinks like that? The Lord teaches us like that. And kids are going to have all these passions, desires, 13, 14, 15. And you, worldly parents teaching their kids oh, yeah, you know, you have your crush on this girl, go ahead, do this. Do it like this, do it like that. Stupid, that's the world. That's carnality. You teach them the Word of God. You give them examples from Holy Scripture. You study what the Lord teaches. And then you study godly people who actually do it, who perform it. And then study the people who don't do it. And then see what the Lord does. And then a young girl, a 12-year-old, 13, 14, a young boy, 13, 14, 15, can understand. Yeah, I have these passions, but you know what? My body is a gift for my wife. My body is a gift for my husband. And I'm gonna save myself for marriage. When all the world is doing their crazy stuff, look at the HPV. You know all these sexual, sexually transmitted diseases that are getting younger and younger and younger. And then all of a sudden, you can have these little bastions of righteousness, little salt balls, you know, (laughs) because they haven't lost their flavor. Flashlights in a dark world. Goshen, in a dark world. And so, look what happens here in verse eighteen. If a man lies with a woman during her sickness or her menstrual cycle and uncovers her nakedness, he has exposed her floor or demolished her fountain, and she has uncovered her the flow of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your of your mother's sister nor of your father's sister. For that would uncover his near of kin. They shall bear their guilt. So you know how the Lord teaches us, honor your parents? It's much deeper than just honor your parents. I mean, it's much deeper than, you know, respect of your parents. You say, how do you mean so? How do you mean it's deeper than honoring and respecting your parents? Well, you learn, I don't want to say a social construct, but you learn a construct of value for another person In relation to authority. Look what he says here. Don't uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, nor of your father's sister, for that would uncover his his near of kin. They shall bear their guilt. It's all my body, my choice. Well, we already addressed that. thats liberalism. That's a social gospel. If it feels right, just do it. That's satanic. It's evil. It's demonic. Don't believe the lie. Come out of her, my people. Oh, but I'm a man. I have needs. I've heard that argument many times. As a man, I've heard the argument. I'm a man. I have needs. My wife doesn't do this. I'm a man. I have needs. My wife doesn't do that. I know of pastors who teach from the pulpit. They teach their congregation that men have problems with pornography because the wife has, has let themselves go. They don't wear makeup. They don't work out. Their bodies don't look like they used to. And they say men have problems with pornography. You know why? Because it's the wife's fault. Victim mentality. Fools. These so called pastors are fools. Be holy. Be holy. These poor wives. Poor, poor wives. I mean, have you ever talked to a woman? Who works out because you know she just wants to be fit that's one thing but then you talk to another woman who works out and wants to be fit because she wants to avoid being kicked to the curb by her husband that's sad if you're a husband and that's you you need to repent and love your wife like Christ loves the church when does he ever do that with you husband When does the Lord say, hey, you know, go run on the treadmill. Go run on the treadmill and then you can come and pray to me. When does the Lord ever say that to you? When does the Lord ever say, hey, you know, put down that Twinkie and, you know, eat a a leaf of salad. When does the Lord ever say that to you? Never. And you're going to say that to your wife? You're going to tell your wife, hey, wife, you have to perform in bed like this. You have to perform sexually like these, you know, freaks I see on the computer. Hey, wife, you have to, you know, perform sexually like this, like this freak I see on my phone. Stupid. You need to repent. If you're a husband and that's you and you subject your wife to that, you need to repent and ask the Lord for forgiveness. And you need to make yourself right with the Lord. Make yourself right with your wife. She's the wife of your youth. It's so crazy what's happening in the church. And then you have these dumb pastors who tell the congregation, men and women, young girls in the congregation, that men have problems with pornography because the wife has let themselves go. What in the world kind of counsel is that? That's poison from the pulpit. Straight up poison. Remember, the last days, the churches in the last days are going to be false apostate or they're going to be refined. You choose. You choose where you want to go to church, where you want to learn from. You choose. Pastors, elders, they're going to be hirelings, they're going to be wolves, they're going to be shills, they're going to be fake, phony, or they're going to be shepherds. You choose. It's no joke. Perilous times. The Lord told us perilous times. Are going to be like the last days. And here we are. And you know what I see? Perilous times. And so look what happens here in verse 20. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. Now, let me say something. There's going to be passages in the Old Testament where you're going to see how the Lord... Causes childlessness and a woman to be barren. But let me say something to you. If you're a female, if you're a beautiful sister of mine in Christ. Without child. Let me tell something to you. Return with me to Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. In Isaiah 54, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord Verse 1 Sing, O barren You who have not born Break forth into singing And cry aloud You who have not labored with child For more are the children of the desolate Than the children of the married woman Says the Lord You look at a a marriage And you look at at the children You know, two, four, five kids You know Maybe eight kids You know know, I've seen families with eight kids You know It's Pretty crazy, but I meant you know in the faith. That's in the natural realm. But look at the supernatural. Look in Christ. Beautiful, beautiful barren. Look at in the church. Look at these opportunities to be a mother to a young Christian. To be in the motherly role to the next generation of righteousness. Even the you know secondary, and if you're super old, you know, I shouldn't say it like that, but if you're super old, tertiary generations in Christ. And you read passages like that, of, like it says here in verse 1, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. In Christ, it's like, wow, how the Lord gives us so much more in Christ. Rejoice, be of good cheer. I'll say something else. And I don't mean to freak you out, but in Luke 23, verse 28, it, 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 one of the prophecies of the last days says, But Jesus, turning to them, said, you know, because so, the women, they were mourning. And Jesus was about to die on the cross. And in Luke 23, verse 28, But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed you say like wow it's a good thing to be barren well in the last days i mean it's gonna be perilous times imagine having babies when it's like in the, la- the 70th week of daniel you know the first the first half of the week of daniel the first the first half of the 70th week it's gonna be peace but it's fake peace faux peace it's all fake the last three and a half years straight up hell on earth literally hell on earth the Antichrist, you know, just says, okay, kill the Christians, kill the Jews, kill the Christians. And you know this, the way things are panning out geopolitically in the region across the globe, perilous times are here. I ma- imagine having babies, imagine having little kids. And so, you know, you see passages in the Old Testament about the barren and in some cases, you know, there's forms of judgment for having no kids. But in Christ, rejoice. In Christ, rejoice. You know why? Because more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. That's Isaiah 54, verse 1. And I say that because I've consoled the barren before. And it kills me. It breaks my heart. Be of good cheer. So let's look at here in closing. In Leviticus 20. Verse 21, if a man takes his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. Verse 22, you shall therefore keep all my statutes. Remember, guard all my statutes and and all my judgments and perform, do them. Not just being a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word. And I say this in our study in Leviticus, which is the law. But we're not under the law. Remember, the law was not made for a righteous person. And in Christ, when you are abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in you, the law isn't for you. You are under grace. Under grace. But that doesn't mean that you just, you know, throw everything out the door. No, you're under grace for a reason. You know why? Because you're in obedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ. These are things, statutes that we guard in our heart. I'm not saying, you know, statutes in terms of the law. I'm saying statutes in terms of the fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ. He says that the land where I'm bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. Very interesting because Jesus Christ says the exact same thing to the lukewarm. I will vomit you out. He says that to the church in Laodicea. And when you read Revelation 3, you see these passages and you see that what, what he says to the church in Laodicea. You know, because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out. Inside the body and being vomited out, expelled. No longer inside the, the body of Christ. Red letters. And then you read his warning to the church. And what does he say? Repent. Repent. And that's what's so beautiful about the Old Testament and the New Testament is that, you see, the whole point of all these passages, of all these priests, of all these rules, all these statutes, all these precepts is for people to be right with the Lord. To be right with Him. And you have the, door, the blood of the Lord over the doorpost of your heart. Praise be to the Lord. Keep it there. Keep it there. Guard His truths. Guard His teachings. Protect your heart. Protect your mind. You know, you have problems with pornography. There are certain things that you can't watch on TV. There are certain things that you can't watch in the movies. Because you have problems. You have a propensity. You have problems with alcohol. You know, you can't go into certain environments. Because they are stumbling blocks to you. You have a problem with, you know, crack. You can't, you know, you have to be very careful If you go and minister to crack people The crackheads Or the meth heads, Because of that propensity That's not to say, you know A lot of times people say, oh, you know The Lord wants these people to be Christians Surely He does But how do you know the Lord wants to use you? How do you know the Lord is calling you Specifically Into that specific ministry? No, you need to have the Lord pour into you, and that requires you can't be old wineskin. You have to be new wineskin. Only new wineskin can hold new wine. And then the Lord does it. He fills you, and then your your ears are going to be perked. Your eyes are going to be open. You're going to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And then the Lord says, Hey, I have a job for you to do. He is the one who directs our steps. He is the one. One body, many parts. And so look what happens here in verse 22. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. The land where I am bringing you to dwell, uh, that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. The same thing that the Lord says to the church in Laodicea. In verse 23. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you. For they commit all these things and therefore I abhor them. Whoa. Look at all these passages we, we 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 looked at. I mean, a lot of it was hard to touch on. A lot of a lot of sexual stuff. Uh, 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 verse ten: A man who commits adultery with another man's wife, and then a neighbor's wife, and then a, a guy with his father's wife, and then a man with his daughter-in-law, and then a guy with a another a guy, and then a guy uh, uh, marries a woman and her mother, and then in verse. Fifteen, An animal? A guy with an animal? In verse 16, a woman with an animal? And it's like, well, time out. Stop, Lord. This is too much. And he keeps going even more. A man with his sister in verse 17. In verse 19, your mother's sister, your father's sister, uncle's wife. In verse 20, in verse 21, a brother's wife. It's like, well, this is unclean. And you start to read these things. And then he says, this is, you know... In verse 23, you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you, for they commit all these things. This is what they do. This is what they do. But you're my special people. What does the Lord teach us today? When you look at the world around us. Look at all the sexual sin. Look at all the disobedience. Yeah, we can look at civil disobedience. And yeah, it's bad. I'm not trying to gloss over it and say civil disobedience is bad. Or like it's no big deal. It is a big deal. But I wonder what those homes were like. I mean, you see these 22-year-old, 23-year-old kids causing havoc on the streets. I wonder what it was like when they were 13 at home. I wonder what it's like when this kid was a little seven-year-old, little five-year-old, little three-year-old temper tantrum. And no mom, dad, to take the belt to that kid and say, hey, cut it out. Little seven-year-old. No dad. You know, dad left the home. Mom was left to raise the kid by herself. And a mom's not going to give a whooping like a dad is. I mean, you say, oh, that sounds sexist. Well, that in the, the the circles that I roll with, that's how it is. You know, like when I was growing up, my mom was, you know, a light disciplinarian. I mean, her form of a heavy disciplinarian, it was kind of, it hurt, but it, that was when I was like one or two. But then after a while, it didn't hurt. My dad was straight up a warden. He was hardcore. That hurt. That hurt. And I feared my dad in a good way like when my kids my friends would say like hey let's go you know break into houses let's go steal cars let's break into cars and steal stereos i didn't think about the cops i thought about my dad <laughs> no way my dad's gonna kill me have fun guys i'm out you know i'll do this i'll go this far but poof, the rest i'm out because of my dad you know i feared i didn't i, I love my dad i respected him but i feared his black leather belt <laughs> And praise be to the Lord. I thanked Him afterward as an adult. You know, I was in my early 20s. I said, hey, Pops, you know, thanks because, you know, I didn't like it at the time. But, man, you saved me from a lot of heartache. You know, and yourself too because, you know, you would have been talking to me on the phone in prison. And so look what happens here in verse um 23. You shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you, for they commit all these things, and therefore I abhor them. These are the uh, uh, Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites. And look at around us today. Look at the mess around us. You could look, anthropologically speaking, if you study the Canaanites, the Amorites, all of these peoples and their gods. Knowing scripture, not to study them, you know, I don't, I don't recommend it, but I mean, if you know, I have done it, you know, because anthropologically, I want to understand these things because you see what these people dabbled in, how they worshiped their gods. And I tell you the truth, it's almost, I I would equate it to, how do I put this? I would equate it to, uh, take like a party scene. You know, like, you know, the uh, Gaslamp San Diego or, you know, some kind of party stream where there's like a strip where it's just like just straight up bars and clubs all over the place on a strip. And it's, you know, midnight and you're going to take a four year old girl and a four year old boy and say, hey, walk through this street. And there are animals all over the place, animals all over the place. And you know when you look at what these other peoples, the the when you know that they like the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites, and you look, it's like you, you read this, and you have this understanding of these idols and these other gods, and no disrespect to the Lord, uh, I don't know how to say this, but it's it's really counterintuitive. It almost sounds like. Like, this is, this is a little too wild, Lord. And no disrespect to the Lord. And then, because that's why I think it's like you're sending little four-year-old kids to straight up, like, amongst animals. Like, in a party scene, you know? Like, w- walking through, like, a club. You know, it's like you're walking through. You're going to send four-year-olds through the club, like, you know, a dirty club. And you're going to tell four-year-olds to walk through there. And it's like, man, it's so unsafe. Then you start to understand these statutes where the Lord says, don't do this. Don't be like this. Make sacrifice unto me. Honor me. Consecrate yourselves. You consecrate yourselves and I also will consecrate you. Then you're going to understand why the Lord put these heavy-handed. Heavy, heavy heavy-handed. But what parent isn't heavy-handed with a three-year-old? You know, a kid wants to put his finger in the socket. You say, hey. You know, don't put your finger in the socket. You have a kid that goes closer, then boom, you got to smack him. I told you not to put your finger in the socket. Why not, Pops? Because I said so. That's why. And the kid learns to respect you, honor you. And then as the kid gets older, you say, hey, look, this is why. I didn't want you to die. I didn't want you to get fried. That's why I didn't want you to have your finger in the socket. then they can understand. And that's what you see in the New Testament. When Jesus Christ says, you know, a day is coming and is here now when people worship God the Father in spirit and in truth. Then you understand. Uh, people reaches a certain peak, a peak where they can understand these things. And I'm speaking about Israel in context of genealogy. But as they got older, they were blind and deaf. Not all of them. A large portion. But it's only temporal because at the fullness of the Gentiles, you read uh, Romans 11, 11, 25, the fullness of the Gentiles. What happens? The blindness of Israel is removed. The scales fall from their eyes. And then you read Zechariah 12, 13, 14, and you start to see like, whoa, the eyes of the Jews of Israel is they're going to open and they're going to realize Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And they're going to mourn and weep and mourn because they're going to realize, wow, the real Messiah We killed him. We hung him on a cross. And just as with Joseph, you know, the the brothers of Joseph fell down to worship Joseph as a type of Christ. Israel, when the scales fall from their eyes, they will worship the Lord and he will be crowned king of kings and lord of lords. Read the prophecies. Understand the prophecies. very interesting, verse 23, how the Lord says, Look, you guys, you know, the, the, these people, they commit all these things, and therefore I abhor them. You think they didn't have a chance? Look at uh, um uh, Moabites. Who do you have among the Moabites? Ruth, a Gentile. Even Jethro, he wasn't a Jew. But he believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because the Lord made himself known. And he was an aid to Moses. He gave strong, godly, beautiful counsel to to Moses. Jethro. You see how the Word of God teaches us these things? In verse 24, But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. Very interesting. Separated you from the peoples. You see? Do you remember our study in the book of Exodus? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 8. Really quick. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. Did you hear me say every now and then? You know that Goshen, you hear me reference Goshen. This is where it's from. In that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell. That no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be That's Goshen. That's what I say to everyone who believes. Have Goshen in your life. Have Goshen in your life. When darkness befalls the earth, have light in Goshen. When the plagues befall the earth, just as the plagues befell Egypt, have Goshen. And that's what the Lord says here in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 24. He says, I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. In the Hebrew, it's to divide, to separate, to make a difference. Remember, Jesus Christ says, do not think that I came to bring peace. I came to divide. The wheat and the tares have to grow together. And then comes the harvest. Today, the Lord is still in the business of separating. I hate to say it like in the business of separating, but it's what He's doing. He's separating. You're in like homosexuality. You hear my voice. You hear me say these things. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And you hear these things being taught. You're like, wow, I didn't like how He said that, you know, homosexuality is a sin. But you know what? I believe. I hear about the events of the last days. I've made fun of Christians. And you know what? I believe. Praise be to the Lord. You need to repent. And receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then as the Lord says, come out of her, my people. Go and sin no more. You have to deny your homosexual lifestyle. You have to deny your lesbian lifestyle. You have to deny your heterosexual sin. You have to deny your pornography. You have to deny cheating on your wife. You have to deny cheating on your husband. You have to deny having sex with XYZ, you know, everybody. You have to deny the crack pipe. Deny the alcohol. Deny it. Because the Lord is making a difference the Lord is separating you Old Testament and New Testament from the very beginning he has always been in the business of separating making a special people the ones who obey not just you know not making like robots he teaches he gives presets and allows people to make their own decisions Old Testament and New Testament. You make your choice. You're a homosexual? God loves you. Repent. Believe in Jesus Christ. Be born again. The same as here if you're a lesbian, heterosexual sin, you know, meth head, crack head, you know, alcohol, whatever. Tax cheat. Repent. Get in the ark. Because the rains are here. Look what happens here in verse 25 in closing. You shall therefore distinguish. You shall therefore dis- distinguish. The Lord is teaching them through the law. You shall therefore distinguish, distinguish between clean animals and unclean. Remember, imagine in Egypt. How in the world did they know what was clean and unclean? They didn't. They had to be taught. They had to be taught. Remember Moses, like, you know, Pharaoh was like, okay, go ahead and go. And you think, wow, praise the Lord. But the Lord told Moses, Moses, you know, say to, to Pharaoh, let my people go. But then, you know, that they may uh, sac- make sacrifice to me in the wilderness. And Moses, you know, Pharaoh's like, okay, you guys can go. And Moses like, no, we have to take the animals. We're not going unless all of us go. Our animals, everything. We We don't even know what we need the animals for. But the Lord says we have to go, all of us, and, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, uh, uh, compromise with you, Pharaoh. And that's my exhortation to you. That's my urging to you. That's my warning to you. Make no compromises with Pharaoh. Who's Pharaoh? Satan. Who's Pharaoh? Whoever's embodied by by Satan, demons. All those forces that want to pull you away from Jesus Christ. That's Pharaoh. Make no compromise. Because when you make compromise, you know what happens? You're compromised. That's what happens. I mean, if you sit on a chair, cool, you know, you rest your legs, you know, rest your back, you get to sit on a chair. But what happens if you start to saw away at, at the legs? Okay, like, hey, a little saw here, a little saw there, no big deal. But what happens if you don't stop? You keep making compromises. You keep sawing away at the legs. Those legs are going to be too weak to support you. No compromise. I could have said no compromise 20 years ago, but even more so in these last days, no compromise. And so look what happens here. You shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean, between unclean birds and clean, and you shall not make yourselves abominable. You see, it's self-inflicted. Don't make yourselves abominable. You need to learn. Guard these things. Guard my statutes in your mind, in your heart, and then do them as the Lord teaches. You shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living things that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean, and you shall be holy to me. Notice, holy to me. It's to the Lord, to Jesus Christ. You see how beautiful the Lord is? He wants you. He desires you. He wants intimacy with you. He wants oneness with you. That's our Lord. I mean, I don't want to sound blasphemous in saying this. But say, for example, if you had a horde of people around you and they're beating you. They rip out your beard and they're beating you more. They mock you. They put a a crown of thorns on your head. They hang you on a cross. And in your last dying breath, who in their right mind, carnally speaking, and I don't want to sound blasphemous. Who would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the Lord. Father, forgive them where they know not what they do. He loves you. You know, the Bible talks about hell as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I've had people tell me, oh yeah, I'm going to go to hell and I'm just going to party. It's just going to be a big party. No, my friend. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is hell. Separation from the Lord. I don't care how hardcore of a Satanist you are. I don't care how much you hate God you think you hate God. But weeping and gnashing of teeth, that's hell. You think hell's going to be a party? You believe the lie. You believe the lie from the father of lies. And I say, come out of my people. Repent. Repent because God loves you. Verse 26, in closing, and you shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. The Lord loves you. A man or a woman who is a medium or who has familiar spirits. This is like the wizards. Those This is how it translates. In the Hebrew, is wizards, the knowing ones, and the necromancers, people who talk to the dead. It translates as a ventriloquist, like a puppet. You see Sesame Street on TV, and somebody's hand is in the little puppet, and they're moving the mouth, and that's what the 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 Bible says in the Hebrew is the necromancers, the mediums, they talk to dead. They're like the puppet of demonic things, demonic. And you think, you know, I think this is so beautiful. How this is the last verse in the chapter: A man or woman who is a medium or who has a familiar spirit shall surely be put to death. They shall stone. Them with stones, their blood shall be upon them. That's for me, that's kind of like a scary verse to close with. (laughs) A scary verse to close with, but I love that it's there. You know why? Because the world has its own brand of wizardry the knowing ones, those with knowledge, and this brand of wisdom and knowledge, which is of the world, it fails. Because it is 100% impossible to learn righteousness from the world. It's supernatural. It's not of this world. It's the Holy Word of God. The Word became flesh. And the work that the Holy Spirit does in your life, it's not of this world. It's supernatural. Praise be to the Lord. We're going to end our study here and Lord willing, pick up in chapter 21 next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.